Well, today we continue the third week in a series on the Ignatian uh, retreat, the focus of really spending some time intentionally at the beginning of the year to really just focus on God, to focus our time, our lives on God. Now, we all recognize that if we spend some time in the Word, that as we come in relationship with God, Scripture says that God inhabits us, that He lives in our hearts. And in fact, the New Testament we see, it's often referred to as the great mystery on how there's a unity that happens when God comes with us. And he's always with us for those who believe, right? And that's often a term that we call the imminence of God. In other words, he's here with us. He's present with us. Often some in in other faiths might consider God to be transcendent, beyond knowing, someone who is beyond us even connecting with. A deist would, would view God as being like a watchmaker who's just simply created all of the world, created us, wound us up, set us down, and just sits back and watches. But we know God is much more than that. God is with us. God is present. He's with us today. He's with us after church when we go to Flipside for lunch. We, he's always with us. I know that because every time I've gone there, there's like 40 of you there. So... Uh, You're probably going there today. But James references this idea in chapter 4, verse 8, when he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Well, if God is living with me, how do I need to draw near to him? Well, in reference to this, it's really a sense of, I need to be more intentional of opening my mind and my heart to his presence. I need to be more intentional of recognizing he's with me and give him an opportunity to guide me by his Holy Spirit, give him an opportunity to teach me, reveal more of himself to me. Yes, he's with us as followers of Christ everywhere we go, but can we be specifically maybe more aware of that, drawing near to him, and he'll reveal himself to us. Over the last 20 years that I've participated in Ignatian retreats, we have seen this as being a season where we're intentional to draw near to God. And each of the five messages that we'll be going over through this beginning of the January season is different focuses for that week. I don't know about you, but I get in kind of habits and ruts in my prayer life and drawing near to God, or maybe I just focus on certain things. What's wonderful about an Ignatian retreat is that it gives us different areas of focus that maybe we wouldn't naturally go to. Maybe it's not a default setting for us. I don't know if, like we were focusing on that first week, that we naturally spend time in nature just reflecting on creation and how great God is. And that's what we did the first week. We looked at the glory and the goodness of God, and the process was to know and experience God's love for us. We looked at creation, and then we took some time reflecting on how God has been faithful to our lives. And if you haven't picked one up yet, on the back table, you'll see this walking the ancient paths. These are the five weeks of we're taking some time to draw near to God, of opening our minds and our hearts. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe that's an early morning thing before the kids get up, or or maybe it's afternoon when you sit down for lunch. Uh, my dad, 
was led to the Lord at a machine shop in Green Bay, Wisconsin, by a Lutheran gentleman who spent time with God during his lunch hour and read through his Gideon New Testament every single day. He would read a little bit more, and my dad sat down next to him and was introduced to Jesus during his focused prayer time. What is your focused prayer time like this week? Last week, Pastor Mark talked about the reality of me and being honest with ourselves about ourselves, really what's going on in my heart, really what's going on in my mind, are the things that are happening inside leaking out into the rest of the world for good or for bad. And we talked about the process of kind of realization as the Holy Spirit guides us, of repentance and this restoration of God putting inside of us what he desires us to be, allowing those things to be the things that come out in our everyday lives. And today, we're going to be looking at the public life of Jesus. And we're going to be doing something that, uh, you know, as a speaker, generally I don't like doing. But uh, I think it's important. I was talking to Pastor Mark this week as I picked up his notes on about Thursday, and we started talking about this message as he tested positive. And I said, you want to read through 44 verses on Sunday morning? He said, you know what, uh, the public reading of the word was really important in the past. And I said, yeah, but I think people's attention span was a little stronger in the past too. Uh, so I, I'm going to ask you a, a, a moment of grace with me as we look through 44 verses because what we're doing today is we're looking at a day in the life of Jesus. And Mark has chosen this, this day, chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Uh, and we're going together, we're going to look at it. And some amazing things happen, but here's what the key is to what we're going to do this week in our quiet time. And the key is try to find the ordinary things that Jesus does. Maybe we don't see the miraculous things every day in our lives, but the ordinary things of Jesus are the things that we can apply to our lives very easily. Well, maybe not easily, but much more practically. So do me a favor. Try to engage with me. If you start drifting and start thinking about flip side, come on back and let's go through together Chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he who sees, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. 
After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let's also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come to the world. Verse 28, for those of you who are still with us. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up, quickly went to him. Now Jesus was not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had been along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face, and Jesus said to them, Take off the grave cloth, let him go. Let's pray. Lord, your word gives us light into how we live our lives. We thank you for this passage. Guide us in our minds and our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I don't know how ordinary your life is. I think everybody thinks that their life is ordinary. But have you ever considered how unique every single one of us is? I mean, not only the very blatant things like, uh, like our fingerprints or our DNA or our hairlines or our noses. All of these things are unique, but the circumstances of our lives are very unique. What ordinary things do and don't happen, and it feels like we go from event to event to event, whether they're high points or low points in our lives. But is the everyday that often defines who we are, the primary and the secondary and the tertiary things in the back that just are the things that we do every day. The week in Ignatian's retreat that we're looking at today are how can we look at the ordinary things that Jesus does, the practical everyday things that we can apply to our lives. And I don't know about you, but when I was reading those 44 verses, my mind was going to this guy who was dead. My mind was going to all of these amazing things that are happening surrounding Jesus and even the, the words of Jesus. But part of, the, part of the task that we're challenging you to do this week, and, and if you have the, the guide here, it'll give us a little bit of walk through this week during your quiet time, is taking a passage of Scripture like the one we did today and say, what are some of the practical things Jesus did that I can do? And the challenge is to look at some of those passages yourself this week. And we're going to do that together as we look at this passage. And in so doing, we can look at the motives, at the emotions, and even those subtle actions that we see Jesus doing this. And by doing this, we can see the ways in which we can be like Jesus. Essentially, part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to apprentice him. We don't use that language very much today, being an apprentice of somebody else. But it is coming under somebody who has very practical knowledge and very practical habits in their life or their workplace that we desire to apply to our lives. And it's learning those simple intricacies, those things that come together to make their work, their life something. We are apprentices of Jesus today. So we're going to look at just five little aspects we saw in Jesus' life in those 44 verses that maybe they jumped out to you. Maybe they were subtle and you didn't catch them. Some of them, as I looked at Pastor Mark's notes, I didn't catch initially. But as I read through them, it came very clear. And sometimes it just takes the time of reflecting upon the Word to say what was important to Jesus and how can I make that important to me. The first one is that Jesus loved the outcast. It says in this passage that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Now, if we look at specifically the life of Mary, she was an outcast of society. She was not somebody who everybody easily brought into relationship. She was, she was designated as a prostitute in Scripture, and so she was kind of Somebody not a lot of people wanted to associate with unless they shouldn't be associating with. There are often people who are on the outside, people who are not given priority, people that don't fit in. But for some reason, these are the people that Jesus was attracted to. 
Jesus was looking for people on the edge, people on the periphery, people who were the outcasts. And I don't know about you, but sometimes, even though we're in a group full of people like this, I feel like the outcast. I feel like I don't fit here, or I don't fit in another group of people. Jesus sought out the people that didn't fit. Do we do that? Are you challenged in that area to seek out those individuals who may not be easy to seek out? Maybe other people would avoid. Maybe other people don't deem worthy of time or worthy of investment. Jesus saw them and invested in them. In India, there are so many castes or levels in which you can never advance through an education or, or standing within the country. Many of the caste systems in some primitive places are much more formative. In other areas, they're much looser, but there's a sense that you can never fit in one group because you are of a different caste system. In the church of Jesus Christ, there is no caste. We are all welcomed by him, and equally so, we are the individuals who should be reaching out to people who don't fit. Awkward people. I've been uh, meeting with a gentleman online since last summer. Uh, he came to Christ in an amazing way through a dream and then uh, showed up at our church in Ukraine, and I walked him through a commitment to Jesus Christ. We went through a, 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 a discipleship series for about 12 weeks together, and for the last, I don't know, about five or six weeks, I've been doing Good and Beautiful God with him every single week online. And uh, it's interesting because he's attending our church at, uh, in Ukraine, going to a small group there. And, and he was telling me about some very strange people at the church. He said, uh, did you notice that there's this person that attends the church? And he was, told me about her. I said, yeah, I know her. She's great. She's wonderful. He said, she's weird. I said, yep. Yep. I said, isn't it wonderful that no matter what we come in with into our lives, no matter what quirks people might have, no matter what struggles that either they were born with or some things they've picked up along the way, here, Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, everyone is welcome. Everyone is family. There's not a special seat in the front row versus a seat in the back. Right? Jesus sought out the outcast. We also see here that Jesus was a risk taker. In verse 8, it shows us that Jesus wanted to return to Judea, even though in the past he was threatened death, threatened stoning. It wasn't a big deal to him. He had something to do for the kingdom. And so he was willing to take a risk. Often our lives are all about mitigating risk. Any insurance salesmen here today? It's about mitigating risk, right? It's eliminating maybe those things that could be catastrophic in our lives and change our lives drastically. And we do our best to hide ourselves from those, those things. And, and often it's wise to do that. I'm not saying don't get insurance. Buy your insurance. And equally so, wear your masks, you know, wash your hands, right? All of these things are mitigating risk. But Jesus knew that when God had called him to something, he was willing to take a risk. 
He was willing to step out and put himself into a place that may be difficult, a situation for the sake of other people, he was willing to insert himself. How in our modern day can we take risks for Jesus? How in your modern life are you willing to find a place and just step out to put yourself out there knowing that it may not come back the way you want it to, but you're willing to take a risk for Jesus. Jesus was a risk taker. Jesus was other-centered. We see here that his focus was on the care of other people. His focus was on doing the will of the Father. His focus was on caring for those he loved very much. It wasn't all about him. I don't know about you, but a great deal of my week, I spend time thinking about me. That's the one thing that I really appreciate with worship is it's kind of a hit on the side of the head that says, stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about God, right? And and I, I can honestly say there's some weeks that I've gone from Sunday morning to Sunday morning only thinking about me and God reminding me in a time of worship to stop thinking about me and start thinking about him. Start thinking about what's important to him and how I should focus my life on him. The primary religion of our day, I think, is not Christianity. It's not, it's not Islam. It's not Hinduism. It really is being secular humanist. It's the fact that we really believe we're God. Jesus found practical ways to not make it all about him. He found practical ways of caring for other people. We see in verse 28 also, the fourth aspect here, Jesus goes after the one that is missing. Jesus knew that Martha needed to be with them. Although Mary was quick to come to Jesus, Martha was far off. She kept herself away. She isolated herself. Jesus went after the one. We see this in his parables, how the shepherd leaves the 99 to seek out the one. Jesus, very practically in our passage, in a very ordinary way, there were people who were left out that he wanted to make sure weren't. He went out of his way to make sure she was not isolated. She drew her in. Often here, even in a practical way, here at I, or here at Portview, we spend time where after a month or after two months we say, "Where's so and so?" Have you ever done that? Like, have you seen where? I challenge you: be like Jesus. Go after him. If you've noticed them, maybe the Holy Spirit dropped a little thing on your memory, on your heart, and reach out to them. See that they're. They're in need. See in ways that you can step out of our comfort zone. Make sure that those who are isolated don't remain there. Finally, we see that Jesus was deeply moved by the pains of others. You all have memorized the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. Two words. That was my first one I memorized as a kid, right? We see that Jesus was willing to let things 
touch his emotions. He was willing to to delve into relationships so deep that his heart was touched. I, I, I sometimes avoid very emotional moments. Right? Jesus was willing to step into those very emotional moments and he didn't do so with the emotional, uh, emotionless experience of a surgeon who comes in to just fix everything. Jesus moved in with his heart. It's okay to let things touch our emotions. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to see someone suffering and hurting and to step into those moments. We've spent a lot of our lives working on language. Not only understanding the Russian language and trying to bring in a little bit of Ukrainian in our process, but part of pastoring an international church is being very specific about your English. Right? Because most of the people that uh, are in an international church are uh, English as a second, third, fourth, fifth language. We had an individual who spoke nine languages fluently at ICA. So therefore, when you speak, you need to be very intentional about the words you use. Right? Often I focused on about a fifth grade level. But there are words that you want to say, they may be a little bit more difficult, but you want to say them because of clarity purpose. Did you know that there's a big difference between the ability to sympathize with someone and the ability to empathize with someone? I, I am so thankful that Jesus, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, right? Jesus was given the struggles in front of him in all the ways we are, and yet he didn't sin, so guess what? He can sympathize. He knows what we've gone through, but he didn't go through it himself. He did not sin, right? He can sympathize. But what he was willing to do was also to be emotionally attached and be willing to feel what we feel empathize, to open his heart up, and to insert himself emotionally as well as practically into a moment. And the, the question of this is, can we connect with people in such a way that we're willing to feel their pain? We're willing to feel their struggles and walk with them as well. Our faith can be complicated. It can challenge us in a lot of major ways, but I'm so thankful for Pastor Mark bringing forth this Ignatian focus from 500 years of practice to say, hey guys, let's during our quiet time this week, I'm not talking just about Sunday, the quiet times this week, focus on some things to find how we can apply what Jesus was doing to our lives. So it was great to do 44 verses together, but I'm really encouraging you, grab this book and try the practice on your own. Find a passage in Scripture. In fact, I think in here there's, there's four options just to kick off. You don't even have to stay there. But to take a passage and just look through maybe some practical things that Jesus did that we can apply to our lives and say, Lord, how can I do that this week? The beautiful thing is, 
the diversity of this room, the Holy Spirit will guide us into a lot of different things, right? Exactly how God wants to use you and me this week, and how he wants us to apply it. There's a couple of graces that we seek, the practical application. I'm going to read them. These are, are things that Pastor Mark wrote for us, but I'd like to read them almost as a prayer today. They're up on the screen in just a moment here. The grace I seek in applying these things to my life, experiencing them. And if you'd like to, just close your eyes and I'll try my best to read them clearly. Make them your prayer this week. Applying what God has done through Jesus Christ into the everyday practical things of our own lives. The grace I seek to experience an interior, intimate, personal knowledge of and connection with you, Lord. I want to love you more passionately, follow you more closely than I have in years past. Especially this period, I want to better understand how your public life, O Lord, portends for my own future. I just want to be where you are. I want to totally immerse myself in you, to know you, Embracing all that you were during your time on earth, my deepest desire, Lord, is to become more like you. As I now focus myself on the ordinariness of your public life, make clear to me how I might become more like you in my own day-to-day life going forward. I'm going to ask Pastor Mitch to come at this time. We're going to close in a word of prayer. I challenge you, don't leave here today without making some sort of a commitment to yourself on when and how you might start applying this practical exercise of reading the Word of God and finding the ordinary things Jesus did and putting into our lives. So make a commitment, make a decision before you leave today what your week is going to look like with this. I find that making a plan is very effective. Would you stand with me in a a word of prayer as we close? Before service today, I was uh, just in prayer. And I was reflecting upon what happens on a Sunday morning. Today we're spending some time in worship. And I'm so thankful for the Dietrichs being here today to guide us in what it looks like to step out in faith in very unique ways and how we can partner with them. But I was thinking about what it has been like in my past to walk into a service and really desiring to focus my mind and my heart on the Lord. But there's something happening in my life that is just diverting my mind at every moment. And I wanted to take a moment before we close today to just reference you. That maybe you came in here today and there's something so heavy on your mind and so heavy on your heart that at every moment that you try to be guided by the word or guided in worship, it just keeps kind of coming back. And maybe rightfully so, that's you today. Something your family, something yourself you're going through. And it just keeps coming back and it keeps coming back. And I just wanted to encourage you for a moment, that's okay. Because there are circumstances in our lives that 
are just maybe bigger than even a Sunday morning service that just draw our focus, our attention all the time. And I didn't want to leave today without taking a moment to say, it's on God's minds too. He sees it, he knows it. And he loves you in it in this moment. So I wanted to take a moment in closing. For those of you who maybe that applies to others of you, uh, thank you for the grace of these moments. I'd like to pray with you today and let you know that you're not alone in that thing that is always before your mind and before your heart. God is faithful to walk with you. Gracious Heavenly Father, just like you were so faithful to walk with Mary and Martha and, Lord, ultimately Lazarus, the disciples through this very emotional, tumultuous experience of loss of a loved one and the resurrection in the next moment. Lord, you walked with them through that big moment of life. Lord, there's something that may be heavy on minds and hearts today, and I thank you that you walk with us, that you guide us, that you just don't leave us alone. So, Lord God, I pray for these next few moments that your Holy Spirit and your presence would comfort, would encourage. And, Lord, though we look at the ordinary, can we pray for the miraculous? For those who need a miracle today, would your spirit come show up, Lord God, in a very unique way? Heavenly Father, as we spend this week looking at you again, as we draw near, though you're always with us, as we draw near to you, you draw near to us, Lord God. Guide our hearts and our minds that we may be truly and experience what it means and be more like you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be standing up in the front in these next few moments. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, we'd love to do that. Otherwise, you can consider yourself dismissed. God bless you, Portview. Have a great week.